Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian Churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, Stated Clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Thank you, Rachel, and welcome everyone again to another edition of In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Our guest this week is Suzanne Zempella, who is a teaching elder in the EPC, currently serving out of bounds in an eco-church. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means in a second, but Suzanne, welcome to In All Things. Thank you. It's great to have you here. And uh, Suzanne is also uh, one of the leaders in a small church summit that was recently held here at the EPC World Headquarters in Orlando, Florida. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about that. And she has served in some smaller churches over the years. And um, one of the things we have heard recently from our stated clerks, from our moderators, from our ministerial committee chairs is every presbytery is struggling with how to best serve some of our smaller, particularly small town and rural churches. And so we're going to talk a little bit of a deep dive on that. But a special thank you to those of you who are tuning into us today. Of course, we drop a new episode of this podcast every Friday afternoon through all of the usual uh, distribution methods in the EPC. And you can access this podcast on anything from Spotify or Apple or a lot of times the easiest way is just to go to the EPC website, which is epc.org, and you can download it from there as well. And we hope that you would not only download this edition and others, uh, go back and maybe look at some of the previous podcasts that you haven't had the chance to to watch before. We're now coming into our second year uh, in, in this podcast. There are a lot of great episodes over the last uh, 12 months that you could go back and take advantage of and share with others. Of course, anytime you have the opportunity to like us on social, that's always uh, something we appreciate uh, a great deal. This particular podcast is brought to you today by your friends at the EPC's Church Planting Leadership Team. The EPC Church Planting has been a point of emphasis, one of what we have called our strategic priorities. Now we're referring to them as gospel priorities, because of course the mission of the EPC is to carry out the Great Commission. As Presbyterian, Reformed, Evangelical, and and missional churches, uh, one of the ways that we carry out that Great Commission is through the planting of churches. And uh, our church planners are uh, busy at work in all kind of entrepreneurial and innovative um, ways of going about church planning. In fact, the church planting retreat just happened out in Cheyenne, Wyoming this October. There's lots of ways in which you can be involved in the spread of the gospel in your community, in your presbytery. One of the motives that we have, one of the kind of sayings that we have, one of the hopes that we have uh, in church planning for the EPC is that every congregation would be a parent, a patron, or a partner. And if you would like to learn more about what that means for your church to be engaged as a parent, patron, or partner, contact our National Director of Church Planning, Tom Ricks, and you can get his information on our website at epc.org. And he would love to talk to you or your congregations about how they can partner together for the gospel as it goes forth in your Jerusalem, perhaps your Judea Samaria, or even to the ends of the earth. 
One of the interesting things I find is that while we're emphasizing a lot of small churches that we're going to be talking about today with Suzanne, most of our church plants actually are not only started as small churches, but are actually designed to continue to be smaller churches because many in the upcoming generations uh, are attracted to congregations of 30, 50, 60, 80, 100 versus the large multi-thousand member churches. That seems to be a way in which this next generation experiences genuine community and the hospitality of the gospel. And so it's just interesting that while on the one hand we have a struggle with some of our established small churches, yet we're also planting numerous small churches. And I think it's safe to say that while we have a number of larger congregations in the EPC, by and large, the EPC is more heavily populated with small churches. And by that, I'm talking about churches with a membership that is under 200 members. And there's a lot of room in there for churches that, you know, meet with 15 people on a Sunday morning. That's the first church I served did. Uh, My very first congregation I served was my grandma and grandpa's church in Clymer, Pennsylvania. Used to say nothing could be finer than to be in Clymer. You've heard it said, everything I ever learned, I learned in kindergarten. Everything I learned about pastoring, uh, the little Clymer Presbyterian Church for the seven years I was privileged to serve there, taught me how to be a pastor and lessons that I've carried with me all throughout uh, my days, for which I am deeply, deeply grateful. So with that, let's get back to our guest this week, Suzanne Zampella. Thank you, Suzanne. And uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your story, because your background, how you came to faith, and how it is that you came to be a, a pastor and a pastor in the EPC specifically. I'm a child of the church, covenant child of the church. I was baptized by the same pastor that baptized my dad, in the church where my great-grandmother laid the cornerstone. And you're a native Floridian. I'm a native Floridian. And you don't, having been in Florida now a couple of years, I know there's not a lot of those out there. It seems like everybody in Florida is from somewhere else, but you're somewhere else, but you're from Florida. So you're kind of swimming against the, the stream, up, swimming upstream. I am swimming upstream. I am a sixth or seventh generation Floridian. Yes, and there, we and are few and far between. you never wrestled a gator or anything like that? I have never wrestled a gator, but I can catch a snake and get it out of the room for you. <laughs> Which sometimes falls under small church pastor duties. <laughs> right. But um, I do not remember a time when I did not know Jesus as a friend and a confidant. I came to Christ in the small church I was born and raised in. Um, spent many summers at Montgomery Camp and Conference Center now. It was Montgomery Camp then. Uh, beginning when I was six, because my mother was a counselor. Mm. I've just always been active in the church, even through college. But I grew up in the PCUS. So there was no thought of going into ministry. I kind of felt like I had a call back then, but I was in the PCUS. We didn't do that. I went and got my degree in computer science from the College of Women Mary in Virginia. Went on to be a software engineer consultant, did a lot of organizational change management, software process improvement, which basically means that I wasn't working. I was just telling other people how to. Another skill that would serve you well when you become a pastor later. It was when I was ordained as a ruling elder that God reawakened my sense of call, that the heart of the shepherd for the sheep. And so I was teaching adult Sunday school and I was doing other things. I was starting a um, small group program in a five to 600 person congregation. God used that to reawaken my call. And I spent 
years figuring out how I was going to manage to get to seminary while I was consulting and while I was traveling, and you get the idea. Then one day I was sitting in an all-hands meeting. They had called a meeting. We were all in the meeting virtually, long before Zoom, but we were all on the phone. And as I'm listening to the owner of the consulting partnership that I was in say that he was going to sell, and we would all receive a a small portion of those sales, I heard clear as day in my head, now what's your excuse? Mm. So at that point, uh, went on. I had already talked with my covenant group, my pastor, my husband, not necessarily in that order, and um, determined that I wanted to go to seminary and I wanted to pursue my call. And that was the point at which I quit thinking about it and started doing it. So Neil and I sold our home in Virginia, moved to Pittsburgh, and I went to seminary. No pushback from your PCUS family back down south again? No, no. They. Um, My guess is the people who were around you probably saw this coming before you did, or at least weren't surprised when this moment happened. They weren't surprised. Yeah. So you graduate from seminary, and then you land yourself where? I um, prayed for a call in the southeast, being a native Floridian, having gone to school in Pittsburgh, prayed for a call in the southeast. God, in his infinite sense of humor, put me in a call one hour southeast of Pittsburgh. (laughs) You didn't say how southeast. One hour. Yes. You Uh, just said southeast. That's right. I was not specific enough in my prayers. Okay. All right. And so I was in Connellsville, Pennsylvania, for just over 10 years. Yeah, that's down on the almost uh, Maryland-West Virginia-ish border. Yeah, it was only only a half hour north of the Mason-Dixon. Yeah. Okay. So you were close close to getting close to home. And now you're currently serving out of bounds, which for those who are listening in and don't know what that means, that's a a person who is an EPC pastor, a teaching elder, but maybe serving not in in an EPC church. So there's people that serve out of bounds with sending agencies, uh, maybe domestically or globally. There's people that serve out of bounds in other denominations, which is what you're currently doing. People serve out of bounds in other ministries uh, that may not be necessarily uh, connected to the EPC. So you're serving uh, right now in an eco-church, which is the Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians. And I know this because I was invited to come to the eco-gathering last January, and I ran into you there. So um, you're, what's your experience like in, in being a, a member of um, the Presbytery of the Alleghenies and part of the EPC and yet serving in a sister denomination. What's that like? Well, the biggest time you're aware of it is when somebody asks you a polity question and you have to figure out whether the answer that popped into your head was PCUSA, EPC, or ECA. Right. It's just very confusing. They've actually got a category for an affiliate pastor. Okay. So I have full voice and vote at Presbytery, and I have full voice and vote at Synod. Wow. I really have come to appreciate Dana Allen and, and Nate Driesman and some of the other folks that work in ECO. And Jerry Iamuri and I spent some good time with them. In fact, this month, they're coming into Orlando, and we're going to spend some more time together. And I will say, as a person helping to lead a denomination, it's nice to have another person to talk to who's also trying to help lead a denomination. And um, I've really enjoyed getting to know them, and, and that kind of fellowship has been super special. But I've also learned that they have a very adaptive, very kind of nimble 
polity and the way in which they're able to pull something off like that. And have you experienced that as being a kind of a permission giving environment where you're kind of empowered to be able to, to do the things you need to do to serve the congregation you're serving? Yes. And I am serving as a transitional pastor. Okay. And one of the things that we are doing is this is an older congregation. Now, like many of our congregations, I got there and the rolls were 140. Right. But by the time you actually clean the rolls, count the people who don't actually come, and count the shut-ins, which are not an insignificant percentage, we have 21 people. I'm about to turn 60, and I'm the youngster. So we are going to do a nest a church plant. Okay. So it was amusing that this podcast was brought to you by the church planters. So I'm dealing with Nate, who is responsible for church health. He's kind of the Bob Stoffer. Okay. And Luke Parker, who is their church planning guy. I'm dealing with them about what does it look like right. for an established congregation to nest a church plant so that First Presbyterian and Monette won't die. Right. But it will be something very different. It's a real challenge, though, isn't it? Because the the existing folks who've been there forever and their sons and daughters were married there and their kids were baptized there and they've been to all kinds of spaghetti dinners and church bazaars and Bible studies. And, you know, they've been there, they've been invested in that place for years. And being able to let go enough for others to come and nest there to give birth to new life, that's a particular challenge, isn't it? It is, and one of the ways that I'm working that is using our terminology and talking to them about being patrons. So that's where the parent partner patron part comes in, and here you have the ability at this kind of uh, more advanced state of life to be a patron to a, a, an emerging group of people who might want to follow the Savior in this community. And how's it going? We're still in, a, in the works. Okay. But it is one way that I've been dealing with the the eco-flexibility, what they want to do is just make things happen. Yeah. But in a reasonable, I mean, eco's still Presbyterian, so it does need to be decently and in order. Right, right. Well, so the transitional pastoring is actually one of the places where we've had a lot of collaboration between eco and the EPC. Uh, Bill Enns, who has been kind of the lead guy with transitional pastors in eco is actually an epc ordained pastor and he has been working closely with bob stoffer and we've been sharing materials together so that the uh, many of our churches not just in eco but in the epc are in, in states of transition and i'm hearing all the time and i just talked to someone just the other day who was saying gosh we really need to get a transitional pastor into this place for those of you who are listening and would like to do transitional work in montana uh, we have a great opportunity in a very beautiful setting to go and do that. But I digress. Talk to us about, like, what does a transitional pastor do? I mean, for those who are listening, is that just an interim or is there more to it than that? An interim marks time. A transitional pastor changes things. Really? And that sounds a little threatening now. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I come in to speak truth, to help the congregation see truth. And that is very threatening. But this is also what God was leading me. I mean, this is what God was building me for. All of the organizational change management and process improvement work and organizational change just really led to this. So I go in and very gently, very lovingly speak truth and help them see themselves. 
We all know those churches that have gone through four or five pastors, just one after the other, that aren't trying to kill the pastors, but they just don't know who they are or what they're looking for. And they're not unlike the women we know, and I use the women because it's more common, but the women we know who go from one man to another man to another man because they don't know who they are apart from the man. So my job is to go in and help the congregation discover who they are, what they have to work with, what they want to be, so they can call a pastor that fits. Yeah, my understanding from talking to Bob Stoffer is that, you know, I think the way you described it is help them discover who they are, because it really is a self-assessment process. The truth that you're speaking is not you just coming in and saying, this is what I see. You're coming in with a tool that helps them kind of self-diagnose, if you will. And you're just reflecting back to them. This is what you've said about yourselves. This is, this is actually, you maybe haven't acknowledged it yet, but I'm just putting you through a process so that you can see how you actually view yourselves accurately. And that's the first truth that they get to see, which oftentimes can be pretty sobering. It is. And at times in the small church, especially, we live in the rearview mirror. And sometimes we have to celebrate and acknowledge those things, but then point out that that's not where we are now. We don't have 40 kids in Sunday school. We're lucky if we have four. Right. So what can we do from where we truly are with what we truly have to do what God has called us to do. One of my favorite uh, leadership gurus, if you will, Suzanne, is um, Max Dupree. And he's famous for saying the first job of a leader is to define reality. So what you're basically doing is you're helping that congregation see what's really real. Because a lot of times congregations live in the past or live in some sort of place where they view themselves unrealistically. And ideal, idealized past even not even not even the real past (laughs) but an idealized past right well and you said that was particularly true of small churches so i'd like to pivot there if we could a little bit and talk about this small church summit that we've just had uh here in the office of the general assembly you're one of the leaders along with bill crawford and and he's going to be a guest on an upcoming podcast as well but i wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about the small church and what your hopes and dreams were going into that summit? One of the things we want to do is, you said earlier, the vast majority of churches in the EPC are small, but a lot of the small church pastors, especially those who've come in from the old country, learn to survive by putting their heads down and staying in alone. And a lot of them are just barely surviving. And coming out of this whole uh, pandemic, that degree of isolation has just been brutal. It has been. And so part of what we wanted to do with the Small Church Summit was let the small church pastors know that the EPC does see them, does value them, and wants to help, but needs their input on how to help. Right. Because as small church pastors, we've had a lot of the Big steeple churches tell us, well, you just need to get your associate and do And we're like, what associate? I'm the associate. I'm the youth director. I'm the Sunday school director. I'm the, you name it, that's me. There's not anybody here to help. Yeah, when I was a climber, I shoveled the sidewalk from the manse to the church, and then I turned on the lights, fired up the boiler, 
and literally, quite literally, rang the bell. We had a, a rope with a bell tower and rang the bell uh, and then put on the coffee, then taught Sunday school, then uh, sang in the choir also while they preached. Um, you pretty much, you, you're, you have to do everything. Do everything. And the other thing is, in a small church, you don't have the flow of people in and out that you have in a suburban or an urban in many large churches. Now, oftentimes it's a couple of core families. It's a couple of core families. And so change is even harder then. Mm. And the patterns that they build, they build and they reinforce and they don't know, even know in a lot of cases, how to ask for help or what that help would look like. And so we just wanted a chance for the small church pastors to come together to talk to with one another to build relationships and to know that EPC values them and wants to help them in ways they want to be helped. Yeah, we're not a top-down organization where we come in as the experts in the field and say, so here's what's going on and we're going to come in and be the saviors of, of your church and, and, and fix all this for you. It's more of a posture of coming and saying, we need to hear from you what the struggles are, hear from you what the challenges are, so that we can figure out how we can serve you. Yeah, so, well, let's talk a little bit about some of that, Suzanne. What are some of the, the bigger challenges you see facing the small church today? One of the things is that in a large church, if a family leaves, okay, yeah, they left. We just had a family leave at the church I'm serving now because they wanted a Christian peer group for their daughter who's in ninth grade. Absolutely, you want a Christian peer group for her. I get it. But they were the last couple under 40. And they ran the youth group, and we had a youth group that had people from all different churches in the community. So we had, you know, 20, 30 kids in the youth group, even though we only had four in the congregation. So disheartening to the rest of the congregation, isn't it? I mean, you understand why the family's doing that. But on the other hand, for those who remain, it feels like a punch in the gut. It was the matriarch's daughter. Oh, that makes it even harder. So it was a real gut punch because it was a child of the church whose children had grown up in the church who has said, we are not what she needs in a church. Well, and, and small churches are fundamentally pastoral in nature, relational in nature, not programmatic in nature. So they get to this point where they got a ninth grade daughter and they're, they're looking for a program to connect, right? Well, in truth, they were looking for relationships for the daughter. Okay. And unable to see that the value that she had is she has many relationships with older people. Intergenerational relationships. Intergenerational yeah. relationships that she would not have if she were isolated in a youth program. But, you know, when you're 14 years old, that's not what you're looking for. Yeah. But, but the interesting thing is, is that, you know, David Kinneman in his book, It's Faith for Exiles, in his one of the Barna research surveys, talks about these five kind of values that they've determined that in the, in the 10% of the millennials that have stuck with the church, there are like five things that they've determined have actually really contributed to a persevering discipled Christianity among that generation. And one of them is the power of intergenerational fellowship. It's hard for a 14-year-old maybe to see the, the value of that. And yet when you look at the big picture in terms of sustaining their faith, finding that actually 
goes a long way toward a, a, a long-term discipled relationship. And I think when she's older, she'll appreciate it. But right now, yeah, not so much. And so that one family leaving, well, it was enough to wake up everybody else that we had to do something totally desperate. Yeah. That's the, the church plant. That was one family, one decision to leave. Yeah. In the small church, you know, we're relational, but we're also traditional. My traditions. My grandmother bought that. So we're stuck in ways that a larger church rarely is. Yeah, I can tell you from experience that when a family leaves any size church, I've served small, medium, and larger churches, and especially when they're close to you, you always feel it. But the devastating impact of, a, of that one family in a small church is, is much more profound. Do you think, Suzanne, coming out of this summit, that you know, having heard from these pastors and listening and coming alongside of, do you see some hope down the road and maybe uh, future gatherings? You know, I know that you were uh, involved in something called the Wee Kirk conferences years back. And do you think there's a possibility that there could be an ongoing ministry that recognizes and values and equips and supports uh, those in our small churches? I do. There is benefit in just having gotten together because even though our heads know we're not alone in this, our hearts don't always know it. Yeah. And to be in a room and having discussion around a table with uh, four or five people that are in the same boat you are gives you strength to go back and do it some more. Yeah. And I think that is invaluable. And I think that what we as a denomination need to do is figure out how to make these things happen in a way that's affordable because we don't have deep pockets in the small church, right? but brings the benefit and continues to bring these groups together. Well, I join you in praying toward that end and hope that that would be something the Lord would show clearly for us going forward because I do think it's not only been the way of the church, I think it is the way of the church going forward, and uh, we need to find out how to do that and how to do that well. So thank you, Suzanne. Any final words of encouragement uh, as people consider the small church? It's a great place to serve. There's no way to be in a small church and not get your hands dirty and roll up your sleeves, right? And it's a place where you know, I mean, let's go back to Cheers, where everyone knows your name and you know everyone's name. To stand there on Ash Wednesday and speak the person's name for every person who comes forward for ashes is more meaningful than I can say. Yeah, well said. Well, thank you. It's been a delight to have you here, and thank you for your leadership with the Small Church Summit and for all that you do, and we uh, look forward to hearing how the Lord leads in the ministry of the Small Church and the EPC. So, my friends, that uh, concludes another edition of In All Things Today, and I hope that if you're particularly from a small church, uh, that you might share this encouragement with others. Send the word out that there's been a small church summit in the EPC and and uh, seek out information and connect with others, perhaps in your own presbytery, or if nothing else, just um, like this podcast and send it on perhaps to somebody who might be blessed and encouraged by it. Now, as we close, my friends, we do as we always do from Colossians 1, 15 through 18. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, my friends, and in him all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church, and yes, that includes the small church too. So until the next time when we gather in this space to have a similar conversation, in the name of our Lord Jesus, I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.